right, hello, welcome back to Earth Like Heaven. My name is Doug Ressler, and joining me as always is my good friend, Robbie Sherry, and we're here to help you close the gap between heaven and earth in your life by learning to live like Jesus. You know, Robbie, last, uh, our first season, last fall, uh, we talked about this way of Jesus from a 30,000 foot view, and lots of folks were like, yes, awesome, love that, really want to follow Jesus, really want to take my life and submit it to the way of Jesus, but tell me what that looks like on the ground. Tell me what that looks like in real time. Tell me what that looks like in the every day. Where do I go to find out what this way of Jesus is for me and what I'm dealing with and what I'm struggling with? And the, we, we talked about last time how the place that Jesus really starts to talk about that really is the Sermon on the Mount. Mm-hmm. It's his most famous sermon. It's really one of the longer discourses that we have from Jesus in the scripture. And he talks about a whole lot of different things, lots of different principles. Last time we talked about the principle of anger and how we deal with that. Today, we're going to talk about sexuality. Okay. We're going to talk about lust. We're going to talk about what happens when our sexual desires really get outside of God's will for for our lives and for and for what you know how He designed sex to be and and what it's for and all of those kinds of different things. And so to set this up, uh, in general, I think you can kind of again these are really broad character categories, big generalizations, I know. But I think in general it holds true. I think you can kind of set up the contrast between the world's treatment of sexuality and Jesus' treatment of sexuality in really, really in in one of two ways. I think for the world, there is, especially in the Western world, let's let's, let's be yeah, let's be really specific, because this isn't true all across the globe, but certainly in the West, mm-hmm. there is this growing ethic of a growing embrace of an ethic of sexual license. Right. Sexual freedom. Okay. And the way of Jesus proposes, by contrast, an ethic of sexual restraint. So maybe reflect just on those two big, broad categories, Robbie, and where do you see maybe those coming into conflict, those working themselves out? Is that a fair analysis, would you say, as you look at the world around you? You're in high school, you know, dealing with, with kids, of course, you know, and so all kinds of like sexual confusion and hormones raging yeah. and all kinds of different things For that you're dealing I'm a with. teacher in high you school. Know. I'm not in right. high school. Well, that's true. Yeah, you're not in high school. But you know what? I, I got to tell you, like with adults, it ain't much different, to be honest. Sure. I mean, sometimes I wonder if I'm still in high school, right? With, right. with what I, some of the stories that I hear and some of the things that people do uh, to one another, especially in this area of sexuality. So what, what would you say to that as a, as a general? Well, is that a fair thing, analysis? Yeah, I think the first thing that I notice is even the words we use. Uh, how you said sexual freedom. Freedom is a compelling word. Freedom yeah, is a good right, word. Right. Everybody wants freedom. Right. Right. So when we say sexual freedom, it automatically sounds great. Yes. When in reality, the freedom of sexual expression, however we want that, is actually binding, is actually it restricting. Really is. That's right. But we use these words like freedom of expression or sexual mm-hmm. freedom, this sort of thing. And yeah. that's, that's the sexual revolution, of, free yes. sex, free love. You know, if you go all the way back to the 60s, you certainly see the outgrowth of that in our day and age yeah, today. The, the language right. informs sort of the culture's acceptability mm-hmm. of it. Right. And then as soon as you say sexual restraint, right. even the word restraint feels to people like, oh, God, right. God does not want anything fun. God is a killjoy God. He's a prude, especially when it comes to sex. Right, right. right. So even those two words, as you were Mm -hmm. saying those, I thought, man, I I wonder if there's a way that we could frame it to where we say, no, there is Mm -hmm. the world's understanding of the sexual expression. And then there's God's way of understanding Mm -hmm. the sexual expression. And both, both promise something Mm -hmm. 
and one fails to deliver on its promise. That's right. In and fact, the, one delivers the opposite correct. of what it promises, and correct. the other one de- delivers exactly what it promises. Again, if you submit it to the way of Jesus. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I totally agree with you, and I feel that same tension myself. I will say that that's where I've kind of landed as I have conversations with people across the spectrum of belief to non-belief, of heterosexuality to homosexuality, transsexuality, you name it. Um, I'm having conversations and I'm in dialogue with people from, you know, again, they just come from all kinds of different backgrounds, life experiences, perspectives, not all Christian, and that's fine. I love these conversations. I love dialoguing with them. And what I have found helpful is to frame it in terms of license or freedom mm-hmm. and restraint. Right. Um, and the reason why I find that helpful is that so often people want to drill down and say, they want to make it, you know, they want to pit one group against another. So they might right. pit the gay community versus against the heterosexual community, right? For instance, that's a big one, Yeah. right? And what I want to say is, is, is something that Christopher Yuan, who I admire greatly, he teaches at Moody, a, a, a man who was way, you know, absolutely embraced the gay lifestyle, um, was actually in prison, federal prison for drug charges and all kinds of different things in his life, has since repented of those things, come to faith, been released from prison, now teaches at Moody Bible. And he talks about how really, when you think about it, all sexual desire on some level is warped by sin. So there's not a single person on the planet whose sexual desire is pure uh, in and of itself. It doesn't matter if you're heterosexual, homosexual, asexual, bisexual, it it doesn't matter, right? Pick pick your identity. It does not matter. Pick your orientation. It does not matter. None of us is pure. What what is pure is holy sexuality, which Christopher Yuan argues is a sexuality that is intentionally submitted, again, to the way of Jesus, submitted to his lordship. Now, I really like that because it kind of levels the playing field. And, And I think historically what... The mistake the church has made is it sort of has taken this whole topic of sexuality and, you know, gritted it out um, as if there is some sort of like, you know, caste system and the heterosexual, yeah, they're sinners, but their heterosexual sin isn't as bad as homosexual sin or, you know, whatever it might be, yeah. right? We sort of put it on a scale mm-hmm. as if God grades on a scale. Right. And that's not true. Uh, sexual sin is simply sexual sin. That's, I mean, that's clear throughout the scriptures. I don't care whether you're talking about adultery, pornography. Uh, again, it just doesn't matter, right? Name whatever whatever sexual immorality you want mm-hmm. to be talking about. It's all on the same level. And it's, it's, and so I want us, um, that's, that's how I have found a helpful then reframing to say to folks, okay, like you don't come at this from a Christian perspective. I totally understand. This is not about me hating a particular group of people or anything like that. Here's the deal. Like just in general, just broad strokes, broadest strokes possible. You believe in a ethic of sexual license to some extent. Mm -hmm. And I believe in an ethic of sexual restraint to some extent, and we both have built our fundamental understandings of these two things based upon what we believe and how we understand God, or, or if, if we're a believer in God, if you're an atheist and you're not a believer of God, like just how you understand the world. Right. And and let's let's talk about, and let's try at least, again, 30,000 foot view, talk about what does a life of sexual restraint yield versus a life of sexual license or sexual freedom? What does that yield? Yeah. Um, and so I, I think that has been just a helpful 
way for me to frame with people. So it just kind of, it kind of lifts you up out of the weeds, lifts you up out of those conversations where, you know, you so quickly get into this group versus this group versus this group and you hate and, you know, you're homophobic and you're transphobic and you're this, that, and the other and all of those kinds of things. And I, none of those conversations I find get you very far. So if you can lift it up and say, well, let's just talk about restraint versus license and mm-hmm. what, what each of those lifestyles actually leads to. So, so when we think about that, Robbie, from your perspective, you're, you're at, again, you teach at a high school. So right. you got all these students running around, all these hormones, all of these kinds of things. And as you guys are trying to teach them a healthy, and certainly you're at a Christian high school, so a godly view of sexuality, mm-hmm. what do you think's at stake? Like what, what's at stake? If, 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 if a student of yours is to pursue a lifestyle of sexual license and freedom, what does that actually lead to? Yeah. And why is it that you're saying to them, uh-uh, let's slow down, let's do it the way of Jesus. Where, where do you think, what's the payoff? I I think there's <laughs> there's so many questions beyond that. I, the first thing that comes to mind is the the principles that we're going to talk about probably don't just apply to sex. That's there's, true, absolutely. Right, like yep. you, you right. can That's roll right. these into some other some other areas. We we tend to elevate the sexual, right. but we are going to stay focused on sex as uncomfortable as it makes you. That's Robbie, right. I know you keep <laughs> trying right. to avoid That's this right. topic, and I am not go. going to let you avoid it. Yes, Unreal. of course, we can talk about it and apply it to something yes. else. But you're going to talk about sex. Unreal. So today. I think in the Bible <laughs> it says in the King James version it says Adam knew his wife yes. Eve. And we, at our deepest level, want to be known and loved. Mm. And Mm. we have this, I think, carnal understanding that our deepest expression of knowing someone or being known is via sexual intercourse. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that needs to be taught. I think... That's Kids just sort of like a baseline yes. instinctual understanding. They they know that there's another level to go to, another level to go to, another level to go to. So So in that if, way, that's not necessarily bad. It no, it's right. It's God not created because it God that wants way. God tells us right. that He knows and loves that's us right. at a deep level. And this world, like C.S. Lewis says, is is but a shadow of what God offers right. us. We try these things, you know, of our own accord to try to grasp bits of heaven while we live here mm-hmm. on earth. And so we go, I want to be fully known and fully loved. And the best way I can think of to do that is through sex. So when you're dealing with young people, there's this there's this desire to be known mm-hmm. and loved, oftentimes when it's not being fulfilled in other mm-hmm. other areas of their mm-hmm. lives. So I really appreciate it. And for those of you that don't know Doug, like, I think you speak on this topic with such gentility. Um, You know, some people can be accused of, like you said, homophobia, transphobia. Whenever you speak, I just feel like, man, here's a man with a humble heart who's experienced the gamut of this. Like you, what, People can accuse you of a lot of things, but they can't accuse you. And they do. And they do. They can't accuse you of it like, oh, well, you're transphobic. Are you homophobic? If if you were to know Doug's story, you would say, no, this guy has walked this so faithfully and so, so lovingly that I just, I I admire that to to Mm -hmm. the nth degree. So in terms of of young people that I experience, Mm -hmm. um, when we talk about the, the way of the world, this licentiousness that comes with... Uh, sexual expression. If we all want to be known, which I think we do, yeah, and we all want to be deeply loved and and loved for who we actually are, not mm-hmm. loved for who we present to the world on Instagram, mm-hmm. then we pursue deep, intimate relationships with someone. And like you said, 
it, it could be heterosexual, it mm-hmm. could be homosexual, but that's at the core of what young people mm-hmm. are seeking. And so when I talk with them, mm-hmm. and I'm sure you you talk with people yeah. all the time, counseling later on in life, I ask what what it is they're after. Like, yeah. what, what do you think is on the other side of this? Uh-huh. And if they're honest, it's it's usually... Well, he said he he loved me, or yeah. she said she would be yeah. with me forever, kind of thing. Yeah. And those those kinds of things are good things. I was going to say those are godly They're things. They're fantastic right. things, right. and we just go about them outside of this beautiful design that God gave us. Mm-hmm. And so then, on the on the other side of that decision is oftentimes hurt, is yeah. scarring, and sometimes there's admittance there, and sometimes rather than admit to it, we just we go well. I've 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 gone this far already, right. so I, it's a, it's a hopeless case for me. So I'm just going to keep going. Right. Yeah. I think absolutely the sore. You know, for those people out there who think you know, well, God's just a prude, or you know, this whole idea of sexual restraints for the birds, and you know, God's a prude. I, I say to them, wait a minute, time out. God created this thing, like God was the one who thought it up. <laughs> so so right. by definition, like God can't be a prude. He's the one who gives us sexual desires and right. those sexual desires are powerful there's no doubt about it i mean um i don't know a, a person unless you're you know sort of in that asexual category which there are people who who are in that category who don't ex- experience either strong sexual desire or any sexual desire at all right. so that that's a real thing so we just want to acknowledge that but for most people sexual desire is incredibly powerful it's an urge it's a it's a drive and again it it's it's and it's right when it's, when it's directed rightly, it drives us towards deep intimacy and deep knowledge of one other person, right? Right, A member of the opposite sex, mm-hmm. at, at least according to Scripture. You can, you can contest that all you want if you're not a Christian or you don't believe the Bible or whatever. I mean, that's fine, right? I mean, everybody gets to sort of choose what they're going to believe about these things. But from the, from the, from the Bible's perspective, the, the, from Jesus's perspective... Right. This is really what sexual intercourse is designed to do. It's designed to sort of unite two two people, make them one flesh, literally. Right. As well as metaphorically. It's the mingling of souls, I think I heard uh-huh. one preacher say, right? It's 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 more than just a physical act. It's actually something that involves the emotions, it involves the spirit it involves it involves every part of us yes. uh, at its at its ideal okay and that's what makes it such a powerful bonding experience and that's why even folks who who maybe um, believe in an ethic of sexual license and have multiple partners over the course of their life one of the things that they struggle with is the damage that results along the way you again you 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 can't have sex with another human being without there being a bond Right. of some kind for me. I don't care how many one-night stands you have. You, you, there's a bond there. Mm-hmm. It just is. Yeah. And it's because that's how God designed it, and um, that's how God created it. And so, you know, I, I look around, and I have these conversations all the time with young people, teenagers, right, in high school, college, those kinds of things, all the way up to older folks. So you think, you know, well, I mean, aren't you past the point at which sex is like a big thing? I'm not sure that you ever really get past that, especially not in today's world where you can like take a little blue pill and, you know, keep it going. I mean, on some level, right? I mean, it's, I know it's, we laugh and we chuckle, but that's that's like, that's, there's a reason why like companies make billions of dollars off of that stuff, right? It's because we live in a sex saturated culture that on some level believes fundamentally, if you're not having sex, you're really not experiencing all that life 
Right. You're really not experiencing everything in life you were meant to experience. And in fact, you're suffering a loss as a result. I can't tell you the number of celibate people, men and women that I know, celibate, who are, especially in the LGBTQ community, that when, when they meet their friends who are in the LGBTQ community who are not celibate, or maybe heterosexuals who are not celibate, right? Who are following this, extra, this, this, this ethic of sexual freedom and sexual license. They're almost offended at the celibacy huh. because they can't even fathom a world in which you would not enjoy sex. Right. It's like a fundamental right. I have the right to have sex with whoever I want to as long as that other person's a consenting adult on some level. Like that's essentially the ethic that the world follows. Now, what does that lead to? Well, my goodness, as I said, it leads downstream to all kinds of impacts relationally Mm -hmm. because again, every time you have sex with another human being, there's a bond that's created. And so if you have sex with multiple human beings over the course of however many weeks, months, years, what have you, right? You're creating all these bonds and there's damage that's being done relationally, whether you want to acknowledge it or not. There's sexually transmitted diseases. I mean, the prevalence of that, right? I remember I was in Africa. This is a, about a year ago, or maybe it's about a year and a half ago now. I'm, I'm with there in, with a doctor here in our congregation and we're, we are with our church planters in this particular region of Ethiopia. And our doctor is giving all of our church planters a physical. First time in their life they've ever had a physical, never seen a doctor before pulls me aside the first night and he says, hey, Doug, um, so about 10% or 15% of these church planters are showing up with a STD. And I was like, what? And he's like, yeah. He's like, what, what do I what do? I do? He's like, I'm treating the STD. Right. But he's like, I just think you need to know about that. I don't, I don't know what's going on. I don't, I don't know what their sexual ethics are here in this particular part of Ethiopia. And he goes, would you be willing to track that down for me. I was like, absolutely. So I went to one of the denominational leaders and I said, Hey, I, you know, this is probably a pretty sensitive question, but I wanted to come to you before I do any kind do anything else. Um, can you tell me about the sexual ethics of this particular region? And the guy's like, Oh my goodness. He goes, you know what? I didn't even think about that. He goes, you absolutely need to address it. And I was like, okay, so tell me what they do. And he goes, so he goes in this particular region in a lot of the villages where these men and women are coming from women, even if they're married, are considered communal sexual property. So you come home from the fields, uh, having herded your cattle or your goats or your sheep all day long or whatever, and if you come home and there's a spear planted in the ground outside the door of your hut, that means someone is in there having sex with your wife. And you don't get mad. You don't do anything about it. You just like wander around until they're finished and then you go in to your hut. That's just how it's done how it's always been done. That's just sort of part and parcel of the deal. Now you can imagine what this does to the women in the village, right? I mean, to be treated like that, right? So whatever it was I was going to teach on the next time, I was like, okay, I got to throw that out the window. We got to talk about sexual ethics. And the very next session I taught on was, again, the sexual ethics that Jesus teaches about, which is, again, sexuality is reserved between one man and one woman within the covenant of lifelong marriage. And it was radically, radically life-changing for the men and women that I was teaching. This idea that you would reserve sex for one person over the course of a lifetime was just absolutely, and it blew their minds. And, um, and then they, of course, they were like, this is what, this is what Americans believe. And I'm like, (laughs) well, no, no, this is not what Americans believe. This is what Christ, some, a subset of Christians believe in America. Right. Right. who are trying to follow the Bible and trying to follow yeah. the sexual ethics of Jesus. You know, because I wanted to be clear, I don't want them to like turn on the TV 
or look on the internet and see something that doesn't square with what I just said. So I was very clear. I was like, look, this is not what all Americans believe. This is even what all Christians in America believe, but this is what a certain subset of Christians who take the word of God seriously and the sexual ethics of Jesus seriously believe. Right. This is what we're trying to do, and this is why we're trying to do it. We believe, A, it honors God. It is what he's commanded us. But B, we also believe it's the best way for us to live. It's the healthiest way for us to live. Please don't do what we've done, right. which has gone this other direction of sexual license and created all these other downstream effects that are negative. So, I mean, from your perspective, when you when you see all of that, you see the impact of sexual sin in our culture, you know, what are some other things that come to mind as you think about the impact of sexual sin, how that shapes us, how that warps us, how that changes us, especially against students, young people who are right. so impressionable? What are you seeing happening? Well, I'm seeing exactly what you said, where once we decided to make that normal, mm -hmm. acceptable, normal, any any sexual expression is is normal and okay. As soon as we right. kind of crossed that line, I, I would be curious to know if there's a correlation. But mm. a lot of times, I, I go back to fathers. I know that sounds interesting, but yeah. there, there seems to be with my students who want to experiment sexually uh, with transsexualism or uh, homosexuality, any of these, there seems to be an issue at home with a parent. Not always fathers, sometimes it's mothers, but they're looking for that love. They're looking yeah, to, be right. known to be known and, and loved, loved in a way right. that there's a void right now in their lives. A lot of times, not it's not a you know one-to-one -one or 100% like this. And so when we said, hey, that's normal, that's mm -hmm. okay, then there's just a, a domino effect. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I, I just went around my classroom and I asked kids about Christmas traditions and, mm -hmm. and these sorts of things. And we think of just the, the simple things of drawing a family tree used to right. be really simple. Right. Really, right. you know, there were two people, there's, you know, you use pink and blue and, a right. you know, and then there's families and this sort of thing. And then now it is, it is incredible in terms of the, the sexual experience has mm -hmm. now made us have to redefine what marriage means. Mm -hmm. And from then who, who can parent a child, who can raise a child, mm -hmm. um, there's all kinds of emotional scars that I see with young people and emotional bags that they then mm -hmm. carry. And it's, it's really difficult to shed. Like you said, once mm -hmm. there's that bond created right. to then go, Hey, there's, there's a way Jesus offers this way. And I think a silly analogy, but we we believe what we see on television. We believe what we see in movies. Mm -hmm. And now every sitcom, every movie has a variety of sexual expressions mm -hmm. with it manifested in a character or a couple right. characters or something right. so that we don't leave anybody out. We, you know, we think all inclusive is better, that right. sort of thing. And so it's, it's amazing to me that I, I here, here's my silly analogy that I tell kids. I had never had creme brulee before. Hmm. I don't know if you know, you're familiar with the dessert creme, creme brulee yeah, yeah, is, right? Uh -huh, it's, uh -huh. it's a pretty unique dessert. You just mm -hmm. don't go to McDonald's and order creme brulee. No, so when not. somebody asks no. you if you've ever had... Even if you could, I'm not sure I would. Right. right. But yeah. I, I like creme yeah. brulee. Yeah. But if somebody asks you if you want creme brulee, uh, you know, you want a dessert. If they give you creme brulee and you like it, that's the best creme brulee you've ever had. Mm -hmm. It just is. Right. It's it's the 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 one and only. And we treat sex as if we can see, you know, Baskin Robbins thirty one flavors or mm -hmm. something like that. And we feel like God has asked us to just pick chocolate chip. And as soon as we pick chocolate chip, we we're denying ourselves mm -hmm. the other thirty flavors. And that's a bad thing. If we, you know, if we say it, like, if I give you creme brulee, you like creme brulee. It's it's the best one you ever had. 
and it's it's the only one you need to have. It's like, it's amazing, but we think, wow, as soon as I commit to this one thing, there could be other versions right. out there that I'm missing out on, and it plays into this fear. And so we, the narratives and culture mm-hmm. now are like, well, you should live with the person before you get married to see if you're compatible with them. Right. Anyways, yeah, it, which which I think is the which I think is absolutely hysterical. I can't tell you the number of couples who are you know getting married. They come into my office. They want me to do premarital counseling. Always the first conversation around the gate is, well, let's talk about, let's talk about your your sexual. Let's talk about your sexual activity because right. you want me to bless, pronounce God's blessing on your marriage. And I'm not going to bless what God doesn't bless. And so if you want me to marry you, you're going to have to abstain from this point forward, you know, to say, right. but most of them have moved in, right? You know, again, it's this whole idea of compatibility, right? So we'll, we walk through that, right? <laughs> right. And, and one of the, it's, and there's, always, there's always this moment and it's, it's hysterical every time where I look at them and I'm like, so are you really worried about that part of your relationship? You're really worried you're not going to be sexually compatible. compatible. Like you, like I look at the dude and I'm like, are you really worried that you're not going to find her attractive enough to actually function? Right. Are you, and I look at her, same thing. Like, are, are you guys, like, is that really your issue? And of course they're like, well, well no. I mean, the whole reason we're together is we find ourselves like physically attractive, attractive yeah. and like all of these other things. And I'm like, of course, because like of all the things that you need to worry about compatibility about, that ain't one of them. <laughs> Right. There's a whole host of other things we got to talk about emotionally, communication wise, like all kinds of other things, whether or not you can perform sexually. It, if that's really what you're worried about, then you, you probably shouldn't be talking about getting married. You know, and, right. and I mean, it's, it's always humorous because the couple, you know, again, they just they just look at each other and they, they crack up because, again, the whole point that they're together is that they find themselves attractive right. physically that, that their body does things that they have no control over, responds to the other person sexually, whether they want it, want it to or not, because that's how God has designed it. Right. That's how God has designed us. Is That's how it's designed to work. So if, if it doesn't work like that, that means there's something else wrong. And, and you know, maybe, you know, maybe you do need something medically to be done or something like that. I mean, that, there, that, is, that does happen, right, throughout life. Right. But, but anyway, that's always like a funny moment in premarital counseling where I'm like, really? That's it. Like, that's yeah. what you're worried about? And then they kind of look at you and they're like, well, you know, no. But that's, I mean, that's you know, so. become right. sort of accepted right. by culture. So right. it's like cohabitating. Or a lot that's of right. the kids that I know that are, are wanting, you know, they'll, they'll come out and say, I'm a lesbian. Right. And, you know, they decide at 17 mm-hmm. and you go, really? Like you, you just, you woke up today right? or at some point and just, well, I've been feeling this for a long time. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I think another thing that's interesting is people find acceptance within right. these sexual communities. Yes. And yes, that's a big one. Again, if they get to the truth of the matter, it's, it's maybe not that they're predisposed sexually to this side mm-hmm. or the other. It's that they like being liked for who they are yeah, and, and who they, who they claim to be. And they feel like I don't have to perform to be accepted within Mm -hmm. this community. So therefore I'm going to identify sexually in a particular way so that I'm embraced by this community because we all, we all want to be accepted. Yeah. Right. And so going, going back to all of this, I think that that freedom, the, 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 the lie that it promises is that you'll be loved, you'll be accepted, you'll finally feel comfortable with mm-hmm. who you are, uh, and it's going to be wonderful. You're going to be loved, and then there's the experiment mm-hmm. with that. There's the, 
And oftentimes I think the young people that I know in that lifestyle realize this, oh no, moment. It isn't mm-hmm. actually that, but I don't know if I can go back. Yeah, when you say lifestyle, you're not just talking about like the LGBTQ lifestyle. You're talking about just a lifestyle of sexual freedom just in general. In right? general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, kind of a, kind of cuts high school news grade, travels right? fast. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you yeah. know, if you're the guy that sleeps yeah. around, yeah. You're, or you're the girl that sleeps around, mm-hmm. there's there's this moment of like, yes, that's what's been promised. I'm going to mm-hmm. go there. And now you're sort of in that right. faction of the culture, for lack of a better term. And then there's this, oh, no, and I can't go back. So yeah, I might as well just keep going forward. Right. And then there's scars and hurt and pain and brokenness and all this yeah, you know what, Robbie? Let's um let's put a pin in this conversation. Let's come back to it. Do kind of a part two okay. in our next episode because I do think this is really you've hit on some things there at the end that I really want to unpack even further, especially the the sense of belonging to communities mm-hmm. and sexual communities in general. I believe that one hundred percent is happening in our culture today. Again, and it begs all sorts of questions. And right. so let's come back and talk about that. Kind of dig deeper into what Jesus is talking about here. So again, just uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, as always, um, we thanks to Jake as he's uh, putting this together and doing all of our editing and all of those kinds of things we're missing billy still but uh you know glad he's up uh, doing stuff up in the mountains and and hanging out in his new job uh please keep listening as we dive deeper into what it means to follow jesus we'd love your comments love your reviews or whatever platform you choose to listen to your podcasts and we just encourage you to subscribe and stay tuned as we release more episodes in the weeks ahead and make sure to share again with your friends we'll talk to you next time